Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. In the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful, peace and blessings of God Almighty be upon you all. Thank you very much for joining us here on the Drive Time Show uh, on Voice of Islam, live from our London studios. And as always, we are going to be with you over the next two hours speaking about two topics as usual. But before we get into the topics, what we're talking about and how you can get in contact with us, let me introduce you the crew for today. Joining us back on the Drive Time here on Friday is our dear brother, Hanif Khan and Brother Daniel Jazakumullah to uh, thank you very much for joining us and uh, welcome brothers. Were yeah. you ever part of the WWF uh, commentary w- team? <laughs> <laughs> World Weight uh, Lifters uh, Federation Me? or something? No. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. don't know about that wow. one. I watched, watched yeah. a lot of it in the, yeah. Yeah. In the, yeah, yeah. In the early days though. Right. But you can come and join us on the Saturday with Generation, Generation X team if you wish. There's no problem. But sure. um, anyway, no, yeah, great to be back. Yeah. And um, like to see, not much has changed besides not, the... Yeah, not much. You know, changed. the greatness, the enjoyment, the friendliness and everything else and the excitement of the two shows. The, 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 the dinosaur is not here today. The so, dinosaur is not I mean, here today. That, that's, that's the only thing. We'll be missed. Yeah. We'll be missed. We'll be I'm, missed. Sure yes. I'm sure he's listening in. I'm sure, I'm sure he he's listening in. Or, or you never know, driving by. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Right. So, in the first half of the program, we are going to talk about debt and about money issues, money matters. Yes, we are going to talk about it. But in the second half of the program, we're going to talk about um, best places to live in the UK. So, on that, we're asking you a question on our Instagram poll. Where do you live and what's the best thing about your town? You can get in contact with us over the phone, 0208-687-7878. Or you can send us a tweet at Voice of Islam UK as well as on Instagram. Hazrat Aisha, the wife of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, has narrated that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, used to say in his prayer, O Allah, I seek refuge with you from sin and heavy debt. Someone said to him, how often do you seek refuge from heavy debt? He said, when a man gets into debt, he speaks and tells lies and he makes a promise and breaks it. The world that we live in, unfortunately, it's very difficult. There's very few people out there maybe who can say that I have no debt, I am in no debt, and I never had any debt on my shoulders. Um, So in the course of this uh, part of the program, we're going to talk about the UK economy. We're going to talk about the effects on the citizens here in this country, uh, a little bit on the interest rate as well as some of the debt habits and, of course, Uh, some of the things that Islam has to say about that and as always some of the solutions that we can maybe apply in our lives to save money and maybe even pay off debt so we can be some of the few people out there who can say that we are truly debt free I I can't say that at all yeah (laughs) (laughs) also just on that note I mean everyone does ask about not spending money without the means, don't take uh, loans from the bank. But for mortgages, yeah. which is a necessity in this country yeah. to own a house, that's a side issue. Yeah. But we're talking about issues where you're overspending, you get a bit excited, you want to go and buy something great. How do you control yourself? Because obviously I fall foul of that, yeah. definitely. It's, but it's not so much about, I think the, the, the point here as well is, how do you control it in a way that it doesn't affect your life where you are you know, mentally, um, spiritually affected by it, isn't it? 100%, absolutely. So yeah, I, I think you you just summed it up so well, um, Brother Hanif. Uh, it, this, is, this is about uh, the credit card debt. This is about the spending debt. This is about buying things we don't need. And, and then as a result of which we all get into debt and then 
so it's about those um, very unhealthy habits that most people, uh, especially in the Western society today, are um, are falling foul of. I'd, I'd want to just uh, pick up the point, Russell, you said earlier about Hazrat Aisha. Hmm. It's so profound, right? Mm. Even if it's the minutest of the amount of money you borrowed yeah. of someone, mm. and it's not that much, and you see them down the street, you think, oh, God, I think I need to give that person some money yeah. back. What do you do? You avoid them. You cross <laughs> the street, don't you? You don't go to their house. You don't no, go to no uh, friends. Yeah. You mm. don't. It doesn't, And it's so profound that if you could be that person and, mm. and not have that debt, society will be so much more healthier. Healthy. And with today's current society where people have probably borrowed mo- so much money that they can't pay back yeah. families within families monies are being borrowed you've obviously got a large family where one individual is probably has a good job can actually share the money but actually it's not get- coming back even if families are breaking up it's such a bad situation we're in today 100% can I actually ask you uh, brother Raza, to repeat uh, that particular thought that you so the wife of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, Hazrat Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her. She asked the Holy Prophet that um, what what he what he used to uh, say and recite in his prayer, and the prayer goes that Oh Allah, I seek refuge with you from sin and heavy debt. And someone asked him or said to him, How often do you seek refuge from heavy debt? And he said, When a man gets into debt, he speaks and tells lies, and he makes a promise and breaks it. Yeah. Wow. So uh, a wise man has just sent me um, just a few stats uh, to look at here in the UK about the average debt in the UK or personal debt here in the UK. So the average total debt per household, including mortgages, uh, was £65,914. So people in the UK owed £1.831 billion at the end of November 2022 last year. Uh, which is up by 73.6 billion from uh, the year before. So it did have a huge impact one year. I think it was the COVID pandemic as well as, you know, Ukraine war, et cetera, et cetera, which is an extra almost 1,400 pounds per UK adult over the year, just to put it into perspective. I mean, that debt that you're talking about, that people, some people can afford the debt, right? Some people have good enough jobs, they have good enough credit on their credit cards to be able to manage that debt. But we live in a society where this divide of rich and poor has increased so substantially that there are more people who are in debt, cannot manage that debt. Mm -hmm. And they are in a situation where they cannot pay it back, they are struggling, they are um, so worried about how they're going to pay that money mm. that they've borrowed. And it affects them mentally, socially, in so many different ways. And I think that's the key thing of, I guess, one of the points today that we want to talk about is how we can change that, how we can move away from it, how we can, as they say, stay within our cloth, right? Yeah. Not not go over and, and, and be better with our money. We're not really taught about money. We did a program on, on, on a show some time ago about how to teach people about money. Yeah. Mm. But we don't, and at maths, for example, yeah. when mm. the Prime Minister Rishi Sunak said everybody has to now learn maths, right? Mm. So, But what he didn't talk about is what's the relationship with children learning mathematics at school, how they manage their debt? What's the relationship with the money that you have in your hand? What are you going to do with it? Are you going to spend it straight away? Are you going to put it away, save it for any day? All these things. That's probably what we're lacking, right? And it's there's this so much information out there, and yeah. it's in the financial world. I mean, I mean, you guys probably know about this more than I do. It's 
it's an ever-changing game, basically. Yeah. So you have this way and that way to save and this scheme mm-hmm. and that scheme, and then you bring in mortgages and interest rates. For the, co- for the average Joe, we're talking about e- extensive research, extensive research, and still at the end of the day, you, you, you might not be any clever. Absolutely, and I and, and which is where I think that prayer of Holy Prophet of Islam, and peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, really uh, hits home. That don't go near that. Yeah, just just stay <clears throat> away from that because that is uh, really because you know even if you think at certain at a certain point that you may be able to pay off the debt, as long as you have debt on your books, you are at risk. Because look at the situation now. The, mm. Look at the way interest rates have shot up yeah. in the past six months to one year. And and therefore the cost of borrowing has gone up. And suddenly, you know, one year ago, if you thought that you were able to repay your your debt uh, by paying a, a, a X amount of pounds, mm. not anymore. Yeah. And that's the question that people are asking themselves. Come to the end of the month or end of the week when they're going to get their money, they don't have enough money to pay for the rising cost of living. So what do they do? Do they borrow more money? Do they not eat? Do they not put food on the table? Do they mm. not put the money in the meter? Mm. And we and and the most saddest thing is, is that these big organisations and I won't mention the energy companies who are forcing people to have prepaid meters because they mm. know that if someone cannot pay for the electricity, they're not going to have to give it to them for free, mm. like we have to with water. There's no way that you're allowed to switch off water in one's house. Why is the same law not the same for electricity? Mm. And these prepayment meters are an example. So what do we do? And how do people who are in this situation come out of it? I think some of it, and Rosa, you'll be able to shed some light on it, is also having faith in God, having yeah. trust in the way to how you spend your money wisely. Just one on, on this, maybe not directly related, yeah. but one one way of how in the Holy Quran God Almighty has described this this fear of poverty, which is look, it's it's normal, right? I mean, it's it's a it's a it's a usual or it's a normal kind of emotion that you have. Whenever you start, you if you're looking at you know life and financial planning, mm-hmm. that you are naturally concerned about: Will I be able to afford this? Will I be able to 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 feed my family? So, for example, when it comes to family planning, the Holy Quran has said mm-hmm. that: Do not kill your children out of fear of poverty. Now it's it's not about and, and the the point is is not that you're killing your children you have children you, no it's for those people who say that you know what I'm not ready in my life at this po- at this moment to to have children because I won't be able to provide for them I won't be able to you know to feed them and whatnot in that same verse God Almighty makes it clear that it's His job it's His responsibility to provide for them one of the qualities one of the attributes of God Almighty is arazik. That that he's the one who gives you risk, which is which is provision, basically. Is that the same? When sorry, Dan, you were going to just no. Say I, I, just to add on what you said, I mean, there, there is a there's a saying in Urdu, um, which 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 uh, roughly translates as uh, that you know uh, that babies bring their own provision. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so um, so I just wanted to add <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, that. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, no, no, you're right. Uh, what I was going to say was that actually I've forgotten the point that I was going to say, but it will come to me in sure. a moment. But this whole thing about crippling economy is, is, is what we're suffering today, right? It's, it's affecting everybody. So 
How do you get that control back over your finances? What are some of the things that you can do and shouldn't do? These are the things that we're going to talk about in today's program. If you have any questions, if you have any comments, if you would like to contribute to the show, by all means, do give us a call 0208-687-7878. Our first guest for today is a senior lecturer in finance at the Kingston University. Louise Cooper is with us online. Louise, good afternoon. Peace upon you and welcome to the Draft Time Show. Good afternoon. Thank you so much, first of all, for joining us today. Um, Louise, I want to ask you, on an individual level, how is this economic situation that we are in the moment, uh, that we are in at the moment, the, well, some would say crippling economy, the interest rates rising, people borrowing more and more because, simply put, they just have to. How is that affecting a debt holder? Who do you think are uh, the, the, those people who are affected the most by this? I mean, I wouldn't say it's a crippling economy. We if we had GDP figures this sure. morning, and they showed a, a slump. Uh, we're not even in recession. We narrowly avoided a recession. It's not a crippling economy. You know, it, it, in the first lockdown, when GDP fell 20%, that was a crippled economy. Mm. What we are going through now is it's our third once-in-a-lifetime crisis in 15 years. This is the problem. We had the global financial crisis. We had um, COVID, and now we've had Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Like we've had war plague, and, you yeah. know, and the Great Depression in 15 years. Yeah. And, and essentially, what that's done, the, the response from policymakers globally, from central banks, was to mitigate the, the short-term impact by slashing interest rates to nothing, literally zero. Yeah. Right, and 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 that works because it encourages people to get indebted. That's why zero percent. That's why they slashed interest rates to nothing, because it basically says don't 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 save. There's no value to saving at all. Yeah. What we want you to do is spend loads and fund it with debt. Well, guess what? That's what everybody's done. That's what households have done. That's what businesses have done. And most importantly, that's what governments have done. And so we are now in a position 15 years later. When guess what? You know, we have as a, as, a, as a world massively more debt than we ever had before hmm. and this is what is causing and 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 this debt overhang won't just last for a year or two it will last for decades to come louise if i can uh, sort of uh, uh, slightly broaden this discussion you are a student of finance and, and and this is where your expertise are i was reading a stat uh, last night that um, the eight richest billionaires in the world own the same wealth as the poorest 4 billion people Mm -hmm. on the planet. That's 50% of the planet's population. Mm. So eight people on one side and 4 billion on the other. Do you think the system is failing us? So one of the things that what has happened in the world, right? So by reducing interest rates to nothing, the price of assets goes up a lot. Okay, that effectively is how it works. Okay, so those with assets, stocks, bonds, companies, wealth, are made enormously wealthier, Hmm. and those without assets are not. So one could, again, when you look at this big 15-year cycle, interest rates at nothing increase the the disparity between the haves and the have-nots. Mm. which is not what we we want as a society. Like even here in the UK, right? We have a society where if you own property, you and your children are made 
because property has gone up massively in value because interest rates are zero. But if you haven't got on the property ladder, then you and your children are are left out in the cold, literally in some cases. And again, you know, the, the bank of mum and dad, we talk about the bank of mum and dad because because that, that's what's happening. I think like half of all mortgages now mm, yeah. by young people are supported by their parents. So, so the, the, the policy response by central bankers to cut rates to zero has made income, uh, wealth and income disparities larger. And, and we know history tells us that when you have a massive gap between rich and poor, countries, society, political systems become very unstable, which isn't good for anybody. Yes. So then, you know, the uh, I think uh, the next logical question would be that the odds are stacked against us. Uh, and, and the rich then are are gaming the system, are they not? The rich and the powerful have always gained the system. Mm. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, well, you know, I'm sorry, but that's just, you know, the rich and powerful get rich and powers. And, they don't, you know, turkeys don't vote for Christmas, right? Turkeys mm. never vote for Christmas, right? <laughs> so, so, so <laughs> guess what? The rich and powerful use their rich and powers so that nobody else gets rich and powerful, right? Yeah. Well, that's kind of like how the world works, sadly. Um, so... I mean, the, the, the trouble for policymakers, and when I mean policymakers, I mean politicians and central bankers. They control fiscal policy, taxation and spending. They control monetary policy, interest rates. The big tools to control an economy, right? So the trouble with policymakers is that the trouble for policymakers is the solution to the global financial crisis, COVID, war with Ukraine, was just to get loads more indebted. And yet, and cut rates to zero. And yet, all those solutions have created all these problems as well. So, wealth inequality, um, uh, inflation, one could well argue. So, you know, we're kind of, you know, up a, up a creek without a paddle to be, you know, if I was to be profane, right? Mm. But literally. And, and the challenges, it's not just the UK, it's globally. The challenges for the Western world are really considerable at the moment. Um, and, and, you know, just normalizing interest rates. So you talk about interest rates being 4%. Well, I'm, I'm an old lady now. And so I remember, and my mum will tell you, mm. when she had a mortgage, her interest rate went up to 15%. Exactly. A 4% four, yeah. interest rate, frankly, is a normal level. What hasn't been normal is the last 15 years. Yeah. yeah. And do you think it's a lot, uh, Louise, just as Hanifa, I just want to ask you a quick question and following on from that as well. This false sense of security where the last 10 years, you know, interest rates are so low, spend, spend, spend. We had a discussion earlier about education of people, how to spend their money. Do you think at that time, if people were taught how to be wise with their money, they would have put something aside or bought a house um, to keep some assets that would keep them safe in times of when things like we are today? Um, so, of course, right, I, I, I am a financial expert and I, I teach my children. I, I, mm. I taught my, like, 10-year-old son, like, you know, how inflation erodes the value of your money. I taught him that. I did a little spreadsheet <laughs> and taught him that when he was, like, 11 through the, through the, through, through the medium of he had, he had a budget to spend um, 
So my daughter had 500 quid to spend on doing her bedroom up when she went from five to already, school. you're already gaming the system. <laughs> <laughs> Stacking odds I'm in your favour. I'm, game, I'm gaming the system to teach my children about money. I'm desperate <laughs> to do that, right? I do not want them coming to me at 25 and saying I'm 30 grand in debt, mum. Please, please bail me out. We're not well, having that, Well, then right? don't send them to that. university. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, anyway, so, so, I, so anyway, so I gave, you love this story. So I gave my, I gave my, my daughter 500 quid to do her bedroom from primary school to secondary, like right? the big step up to secondary. And then my son wanted the same amount. And I said, well, inflation's gone up. <laughs> I said, so actually you get more. And so he was delighted and we went through and we did all the calculations in an Excel spreadsheet. The poor love was only 10. And he, and he understands that inflation erodes the value of the money. And so my daughter got 500 and he got, I don't know, 525, right? So I do teach my children about money and I could not agree more. I think financial education needs to start literally in primary school. Yeah. And I think it's catastrophic that we as a country and many other countries don't give the next generation the power, the educational power to make good decisions about their money. So absolutely, I would be completely behind that opinion. That is so completely right. And this other thing you talked about, lev- I mean, I'm raising it, levelling up. I mean, is it a farce, truly, after the way you've just explained everything with interest rates and also with the money we received during furlough? We all know it's common sense. Um, we need more housing, house being built. If everybody owns a house rather than rented a house, they'll have something to give back as a legacy or, or something. This government choosing not to build housing. We've had a, a, a reduction, although we've tried. But I do understand the challenges of nimbyism, not in my backyard. But isn't that an easy solution? Because we okay, always okay. separate mortgage cost to household and running cost, don't we? So let me, ju- so let me just explain it, right? So we've had... Th- and to be fair, without low interest rates after the global financial crisis, we would have seen a, a horrendous, Great Depression, all right? It would have been awful. I mean, it, people lost their jobs anyway. It would have been way, way worse. I mean, literally like 1920s-style Great Depression. So the policy was, response was correct to, to cut interest rates to, to protect the economy. But as we've discussed, extremely low interest rates have driven the price of homes up massively beyond mm. the, you know, especially in the central, you know, in London, right? So what do you do now? Okay, so what do you do now? So you're right. So what we should be doing is building way more houses, flooding the market, increasing supply, right? Increasing supply. When you increase supply of something, the price falls. So all these people who've bought properties for very, very high prices over the last 10, 15 years that currently think their house is worth half a million or 200,000 or 100,000 or whatever it is, actually the price of that house then falls. Maybe it goes 20 or 30% lower. Suddenly... You're paying a mortgage on a house or, or a flat that's not worth what you think it's worth or what, what you paid for it. So basically, you wipe out, shed loads of people who've bought at the top, and you essentially wipe out, wipe out the entire banking system as well because they've lent money on the back. You know, 95% mortgages, if the price of the property falls by 5%, the banks are wiped out as well. Yeah. So, 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 so the solution is let's build more houses, let's make properties more affordable, but we can't do that. Because what about all the people who bought properties at really high levels and the banks that have lent on them? So we're kind of in this position, well, what do we do now? Well, could we have a policy that drew a line under that moment 
and said all those people who purchased their houses at X amount having this scenario and all the newcomers to the houses buy houses at a different interest rate that allow them to own a property. This is just common sense thinking, right? I know the banking system controls the world, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> but if we were really compassionate, and I appreciate that, you know, you said earlier that we have avoided a, um, a, um, a recession, Depression. right? Because of two, yeah, because of two kind of consecutive, um, not, not decline in that GDP. But actually, if we just thought about it and we could do it, then don't you think we, we would change the system entirely? But that we're just controlled too much. Okay. I mean, it's, I mean you, you, you can't offer discounts. To, I mean, that doesn't quite work, right? But I tell you what, before I leave you, I will leave you with one moment of happiness, although it, 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 it's one uplifting comment, right? Although, although it's not that uplifting. But, I, you know, let's, let's go with some positivity, right? Let's go with some good news. So the one good news, so we haven't gone into recession. That does not mean the economy is going to be great, Okay, it doesn't mean it's going to bumble along this year, but it could have been a lot worse. The one good thing, although it's not that great, but the one good thing for this country's workers, okay, is that there's a shortage of labor. Now, when there's a shortage of labor or shortage of anything, the price goes up. So that's what we've been seeing. We've been seeing wage rises. The other good news for about a shortage of labor is it means even if we do have a recession, and we, we haven't had one, and we may or may not, is that people won't lose their jobs because you've actually got a shortage of labour. So that means in terms of unemployment, unemployment is incredibly low. And even if we do have a major economic slowdown, unemployment is unlikely to rise much. So, so the good news for household finances and for households is you will be continue to be in work. There is plenty of work out there. The more longer term challenge for this country is we need labour. You know, we, 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 you can't have a shortage of labour because then the country doesn't grow. So the more bigger challenge long term is we need labour, we need productivity. But at least for the short term, while we go through this stumbling slump of 2023, there should not be a massive increase in unemployment. And that has got to be good news for households mm. up and down the country that they will keep their jobs. OK, I, I agree to that, but I won't dwell on this much longer. But we know... Many people for the last decade have not had an increase, a real, a real no. wage increase. We know that. And we're not their salaries. This is why we've had so many strikes. I know people who have been earning the same amount of money mm. for the last 10 years. Mm. And while the economy has gone so, I don't entirely agree with everything you're saying. Although there is a labor shortage, we have all these influx of people coming in as asylum seekers. We still do not give them the opportunity to pay into the system. Anyway, that's another can of worms, and I'll just leave it there. Thank you. All right, Louise, thank you very much for joining us today. Senior lecturer in finance at the Kingston University, Louise Cooper. It was um, a pleasure talking to you, um, and thank you very much for joining us today. Peace be upon you. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you. 0208-687-7878 is the number for you to call. If you have any questions, if you have any concerns, by all means, do give us a call. Don't forget, we're asking you a question or opinion poll on Instagram about the second topic, and that is about the best places to live in the UK. Where do you live and what's the best thing about your town? I thought Louise was great, although we're talking about 
a lot of doom and gloom. Hmm. But she was so exciting. Yeah, thanks, Louise. Just what you need to start your weekend. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Thank you, Louise, once again, if you're listening to this. Um, awesome. And I think uh, that sort of leads us nicely to the um, to the. A solution that Islam offers hmm. towards the problem. So we've talked yeah. about the problems, we've talked about uh, the amount of debt people are in, talked about the struggles people are going through, um, uh, and we've talked about the crisis, um, uh, this whole debate about interest rates. So um, let's now maybe shift gears and talk about the solutions to, it, to, this, to this global problem, um, global problem of debt. Especially consumer debt, which is which is really crippling. So, um, if I can ask you um, uh, your question straight up, Imam Reza, um, what is Islam's position on interest rates or interest in general? So, I mean, this is not something that Islam is unique uh, in its opinion about. I think uh, in previous uh, faiths and and religions, pretty much all across the board. Um, look at it in a very negative way. So in Islam, interest categorically is prohibited. And uh, the concept of interest has been, um, well, looked down upon or or forbidden in Islam categorically. Now, you ask the question that if there is no interest, what what's 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 the benefit of this? I mean, how do you what, what's the reason behind it? Um, and I think, except apart from looking at it from 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 the religious point of view, if you look at and correct me if I'm wrong here, if you look at, for example, the the wars that have happened in the past, the wars that are still happening uh, at the moment, isn't that a contributing factor to why they just keep going on and on and on and on? So if you look at it from the Islamic perspective, money is there. And if you mentioned the word compassion, yeah. mm-hmm. when we were talking to Louise, you mentioned the word compassion. That's one thing that is lacking in the financial system. Mm. There is no such comp- concept as compassion. Yeah, and, and that's the thing I object um, to the Chancellor saying that, okay, I'm not going to do anything um, that means I have to pay extra to the people striking. Mm. I'll talk to them, I'll listen to them, but what I won't do is give them an extra money. Mm. Because we can't afford it, I understand that point of view, but where's the compassion? Why that that was so the in, point I was in, raising. In in that system, the underlying point is that you are supposed to have money in rotation. Okay, yeah. That means the, mm. the the fact that you brought in the beginning that you have what seven or eight people in mm. the world who own as much as four billion people what people statistic? around the world. <laughs> exactly. I mean, isn't isn't that the classic? definition or the answer to to this question if those eight people seven eight people or nine people ten people how many times have we heard when for example covid vaccines were were getting rolled out that one individual can provide a whole country with the vaccines Mm. Mm. if they wouldn't hoard that money for themselves yeah. I mean, we we hear these numbers and, yeah. and donations when people, you know, th- they're making hundreds of millions and they're donating three, four, five, yeah. ten million. That's peanuts for them. So, again, what is the point of you? And, and the wealth gets continues to get accumulated in those exactly. hands as well because as we were talking so about at, earlier. So, at one point, they don't have to do anything. Or just act in their favor. They, ha- they don't have to do anything but just to sit. Mm. 
and yeah. the money is growing by itself. Correct. Isn't isn't that what they tell you these banks when oh let the money do the work for you yeah. or let I mean let it, <laughs> let, let it, money work for you. Let money work for you. Yeah. That's not the point. Mm. So in in that society that Islam suggests in a society that religion I believe generally suggests is that you need to take care of the most vulnerable in the society and if you have these 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 giants in the society who are taking that money which can be helpful which can be used to help those who are less fortunate in the society then that should be done i i look in islam it says that you should take um wisdom wisdom is the lost property of a believer mm-hmm. now i i really very very rarely quote um artists mm. But I saw a, an interview with a very um <laughs> an a, a US rapper I would say mm-hmm. okay so mm-hmm. um he was very um uh, charismatic US rapper and he he was talking about this this inequality in society yeah how why do you need a house with 20 rooms <laughs> who needs a house unless you have 25 children <laughs> who needs a house with mm. 20 rooms with a pool in the back with a garden the size of mm. you know half of this town um 15 cars why when billions of people don't have a roof over their heads exactly so that was the question that he posed i and 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 he was absolutely right and we're talking about this is in the 90s or late 80s early 90s mm. um that that he was he was he was talking about this and it made perfect sense so if you have this look it's not just about interest you have to look at it what leads up to it and what is the consequence of it so if i have um an uh someone in in my in my city who has this massive huge house mm. and right next to him the half of the population population is struggling to eat yeah what does that cause emotionally you know physically in in the people that are looking at that person mm-hmm. absolutely right you're not you're not creating a society of hmm. peace you're not you're not uh, paving the way to a just society yeah. and unfortunately no this this is not an exceptional site anymore this is a site that we see more and more of in cities across the world yeah. uh, even more so in developing world unfortunately than in the developed world where you know the disparity is actually even even greater so it's so you know you've talked about so you've talked about interest that uh, that's great sorry hanif you, you wanted to come in no no yeah. I, I, the point i was going to make but you yeah. finish your point i mean it, it was the point that i was going to say earlier which i didn't forget and it followed perfectly on to what russell was saying is that you know this idea of not having children because you can't afford it mm. and having that faith in god it's the same as that concept that we have when we pay zakat mm. right one of the pillars of islam 2.5% it means that money starts circulating yeah. within the system but the point i was going to raise was that When you went to start a business, you go to the bank, you borrow some money. So where's the risk? The mm. risk is solely on the person who's borrowing the money. The bank says, "Yeah, here's some money, but we pay you the interest." So when you finish that loan, I want all my money back mm. plus the interest. Mm. Yeah. So who where's that collaboration within the business, within the bank mm. trying to raise the money where people in society can benefit as well. I mean that's the, that will circulate money better, right? So Absolutely. Yeah, and 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 also to your point, mm. 
most of the times that particular loan has to be backed by a personal guarantee <laughs> which means that you can't go anywhere so it's not just about the 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 risk uh, ring fenced within that business hmm. the risk is very much to you and your family and the roof uh, that you that you need to put uh, over their heads and the food you need to put on the sh- on on the table now in all of this i think look the 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 point is not to 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 bash the rich Right? Of course. No, not. no, of course not. That, that's not yeah. the point. If that is some if 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 no, so, so is I, listening the the next the, the point that and you've already touched on that. The, you know the system of circulation yes of wealth in Islam which Islam prescribes um uh, the system of zakat then there is also the system of wasiyat hmm. um the will uh, uh, in in the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Um can you talk a, a little bit about these so, two things so so that just to give listeners a an a sneak peek into what an islamic system would yes. actually look like so i i think we're going to talk to one of our imam guests as well in and just a little bit but i think just generally speaking the 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 point is to purify your wealth right so zakat in itself uh, the the whole concept is about purification the 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 guidelines for that are that if you have any x amount of of uh of money or you know gold jewelry whatever it is and that is sitting around for one year and you're not using it you're not touching it you're not using it at all that money is not or that wealth is not helping anyone in society yeah. so if you have let's say x amount sitting there in your bank account for one year then the concept of zakat applies on that so 2.5% whatever that that um, uh, amount turns out to be that is something that you give then in an islamic society to the government which then has specific guidelines and instructions on who and what to spend that money on so that is not for you know uh, certain rich people or they are not going to use it for certain things the holy quran has specifically told us what that money is going to be used for and it is for those who are poor it is mm. for those who cannot afford it is for those who in some cases don't even want to ask but it is the 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 job of the government or whoever is ruling over the country to know exactly that there are certain people who will never ask for money it's just against their moral code it's against their 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 um yeah. you know the the pride or whatever you want to call it it's like a, it's like a welfare state In a exactly way, right yes. where you in this country which is funded by the rich but, well yeah, yeah. But, but the point i was going to make was that you can be homeless but you would still be able to find a roof over your head because of a welfare state mm. no one will go hungry in this society in the western society and this welfare state that we pay into through our taxes mm. is still a very relatively new phenomenon but what we've been describing here was what was prescribed 1400 years exactly. ago right so if we had a system of a welfare state back then we would be seeing um the much <clears throat> poverty and the disparity um uh, between the rich and yeah. the poor because when you talk about money that's sitting in the bank you pay zakat on it 2.5% oh. and then specific instructions it is similar to your money where you pay tax hmm. so every bit of money you earn paye or corporation tax or whatever it is the hmrc will tax it and take it and spend it on our roads streets hmm. schools etc but there is a slight difference here there's a common there's a, an element of compassion yes because it's policy of government is what they do with that money 
right? Mm-hmm. Do they do things in the private sector to help other businesses, the people who own these businesses to get rich? Or do they allow public sector service workers to be earning more money, provide our buses, trains, schools, hospitals, you name it? It is a policy. But there's still another element is that in an Islamic society, specifically it says a proportion of that needs to go mm. to the people who are most needy, those which society potentially has has given up on, mm. where we need to raise that level. So if we raise the lowest level up, everybody benefits, yeah. right? That's yeah. I think that's how, is that how it, kind of the way to understand it. 100%. And yeah. one more question around that, Imam Reza. So this... Um, is the system of zakat only for uh, for cash that you've hoarded or kept, uh, or is that all for other assets as no. well? No. So again, assets uh, tangible as well as if, if it's you know you have uh, jewelry as well. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's so if you're gold for if you're silver, for, for yeah. women, yeah. for example, right? So it's not just uh, again. This is something that applies to women as well. You mm-hmm. have jewelry. You don't use that jewelry. What you can do is you can lend that jewelry to those who who maybe need it. Mm. I mean, the the, oh, the well, point is that you don't let the jewelry or the money work for you. That's that's I mean to get away from that, and it's just only to, for you, only for you, mm. right? So if other people can share, other people can benefit from it, yeah. then so be it. Here with us on the line to talk a little bit more about this and explain it in a little bit more detail is our next guest for today, Imam Khalid Gonzalez, who is a missionary of the Amdiya Muslim community, currently serving in beautiful Spain, is with us on the line. <laughs> Assalamu alaikum and welcome <laughs> to the Drive Time Show. Hola, Imam Khalid. Hola, hola, buenos dias. Yeah. Gracias uh, for joining. It's good, it's good Spanish, it's good Spanish. Yeah, I, was, I, spent, I spent a couple of days. I mean, there's a few things that I picked up. Uh, I think the other ones <laughs> probably don't apply to this show right now. But Jazakallah <laughs> for joining us today. Um, Imam Khalid, can debt potentially be a barrier to a person's spiritual ladder? I, I would say say it's a it's a we're speaking about levels of faith here sure uh, if we look at the reaction of Hazrat Yaqub Jacob the father of Yusuf Joseph his reaction when he was mocked about crying um, to God and complaining to God for his suffering um, obviously not in a uh, in an ungrateful manner uh, he would cry to Allah uh, and complain of his of his sorrows and he says in the Quran that I only complain of my grief and sorrow to Allah. You know, I'm not complaining to you people. It's the concept in Islam which is very strong, which was taught by us by the Holy Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, that whenever we have, uh, you know, whenever we're going through difficulties in life, we always complain to Allah for help. Complain in a positive way. I'd rather use the word, you know, ask for help. So whenever someone does go through a financial state, I always recommend them that they should always ask God for help. Obviously, not everyone in the world um, relies on this. So there, are all, there will always be people who who do ask for loans. They do people do ask for money, and maybe someone does need a, a loan temporarily. Um, so, so it, it's it's more of a I would I would call it something to do with you know your personal connection with God. I personally wouldn't feel comfortable asking someone for a loan. I just mm. couldn't do that. I just wouldn't feel like it's the right thing to do. I would feel like I, if I'm going to ask anyone, I'm going to ask God because. For him, he's Al-Qadir, you know, the one who has all the power in the world. Mm. Why, would I ask to a, why would I ask a person to give me money? I'd ask someone who has all the money in the world, my God, who I honestly believe is God, and can provide me that. 
Otherwise, I'd feel as if maybe my belief in God and his and his power isn't so strong, or maybe it's doubtful that I maybe not ask him but ask someone else. It kind of, yeah, I wouldn't feel satisfied mm. and content. Isn't that what we teach our children? And I think everybody, everybody's heard that from from their parents that even if you have to ask for a shoelace, you you should ask Allah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So that is the hadith that you just mentioned. The Holy Prophet said that even in, the thing is when you. When you focus on these teachings, for example, pray even for your for tying your shoelace, yeah. you realize how dependent you are. You know, the Promised Messiah explains that when you pray to God, you should pray as if, imagine yourself as if you're a child, hmm. asking, you know, asking uh, your parents for help. We, in our, in our grandeur, you can say, or our adult, adulthood, or our, the knowledge we gain as we grow older, we, we grow in arrogance. But hmm. we realize, and if we forget how small we really are, we just have to look up at the, at the yeah. stars and sky. We see how we realize how small we really are. Now, one question that Brother Daniel asked me, um, sim- similar question o- along these lines: that why why should someone lend money without them profiting from it? For example, I mean, interest. The way it works is that I give you money, I get something out of it more than I probably actually deserve or uh, I need. So, doesn't the world work on the basis of profit and loss? Yeah, I mean. Essentially, if you if you want to live if you want to live that life, you're basically choosing a life of absolute selfishness. Mm-hmm. Uh, because in that sense, you'd be someone you know, like banks do. Everyone knows what banks do. Um, they help others only for the benefit for the self benefit. So Islam encourages that you should uh, lend alone. In fact, the Quran says that when you do lend alone, it is better that you remit it. That you, it's better that you say to that person, "Do you know what? It's fine. You don't have to pay me back." That's what Islam says. Hmm. Imagine if you're a person who's un- earning around maybe half a million a year, or maybe in the three, you know, in the three digits, in the sorry, in the in the seven digits, and you loan someone a certain amount, let's say two, three grand. If you say to that person, you know, I need my money back, and you know that person came to you in like out of desperation, well, in that kind of situation, Islam or God, you know, encourages that you remit that loan. Hmm. You say, you know, fine, you don't have to pay me back. This is what Islam said. And the reason is that if you're always doing it out of, you know, I'm going to get a benefit out of this, is I'm doing it with interest, then mm. really you're not doing it for God. You're not doing it ala hubbihi. You're not doing it for the love of God. You're rather you're doing it, you know, for, for self-interest. Imam Gonzalez, uh, again, uh, uh, Brother Hanif, you want to... I'm just going to follow yeah. on just very quickly. That sure, go on. If I was a nice bloke, kind-hearted... You are. Didn't necessarily of course have a strong faith. I'm not just doing that because it's a politician. He can't be kind. He can't be kind. <laughs> you know, I, I, I can't believe that. No, I mean, no, it, we, it, we, uh, we take off the politics hat as yeah, soon no, as I we do. enter that door. Yeah. Sometimes it comes out, but yeah, never mind. So, Go so, ahead. so the, the question is, is if I, I, I'm, I'm an individual nice bloke, but I just did it because I'm a nice bloke. What's the <laughs> yeah. difference between me having faith and not having faith? Because I saw I saw someone... So people lend money to friends. They don't say, I oh, no worries, you know. Forget it, mm. or, or I'll I'll buy you the coffee today, mm. or uh, you want help. But where is the distinction between the faith in this? I mean, is it out of choice that I say, right, I'm not going to give up because the conscious me says, right, I'm not going to ask for the money back because it's God Almighty. But if someone who doesn't have that belief, it, w- what do we say to those people? Because there'll be people on listening to this show that are also help out. Yeah. So, so what do you it's say a good to question. them? It's a, well, actually, I'm, I'm kind of lucky in that sense because it's a coincidence. I was literally reading about this yesterday um, about about the difference between uh, people who believe and don't believe and do good deeds. Hmm. The Prophet Islam explains that 
there's it's a it's a matter of level of the level because not nothing's black and white, right? Everything is in levels. So in terms of helping someone out, yeah, sure. You know, someone might help out just like we do, and you know, we we don't claim to be better people than than they are. But maybe the difference between someone who has faith and doesn't is that again it says in the Quran, Allah hubbihi out of love of God. And when you do it out of love of God, the Prophet explains that that person has a much higher level of giving. Rather, when he gives, he doesn't have any kind of feeling in his heart that it's difficult or I don't want to do it, but I'm going to tell, I'm going to make myself do it. Hmm. He gets to a level where when he gives, it's purely unconditional love. Like when you, when a mother gives their child food or water, whatever, it's that kind of Hmm. spirit that we're looking for. Yeah, fine. You know, someone else, an atheist or whoever can help out, but how do they feel in their heart when they're giving it? I'm not saying all atheists do feel negative, but it's it's a matter of levels. Yeah. If you can, if you read the stories of the Holy Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, uh, peace be upon him, the way he would treat people, you could tell there was not a speck, there was no doubt in his faith, and there was no, there wasn't a, not even the tiniest bit of feeling like, I don't want to do this, or hmm. I could be doing something else, or I could be spending this money on, you know, a lot of people, you know, you, when, when someone does pay that coffee for you, you can maybe sometimes tell, you know what, he did it, but he could have. Uh, you, you, might, you might express, you know, I could have said that money. Could have said you know, that if, money. If, if, <laughs> absolutely right, Imam Gonzalez. And the one verse that uh, that comes to mind uh, immediately is the uh, is the verse where um, you know God um, Almighty talks about giving to the neighbor you know and giving to the na- helping the neighbor you know and helping the neighbor you don't know and mm. giving to the wayfarer. So uh, you know, yeah. in a in an agnostic society, you would yes lend to your friend, but you would never lend to a stranger, yeah. or you never lend a helping hand. Uh, um, with your money to uh, to somebody you don't know, um, we've talked about Imam Gonzalez. We've talked about uh, interest a little bit. We've talked about uh, the system of zakat a little bit. Um, in the final few minutes of this segment, we I wanted to uh, uh, touch upon the other important component of our lives uh, within the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, uh, and that is the system of uh, wasiyat or the will. Can you can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so the Wasiyat, um, well, it's a book written by the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, 1908, if, if, I'm, not, if I'm not wrong. Um, he wrote about this, This uh, it's called The Testimony, The Will. And in this book, he explains that those people who wish to elevate their spiritual status, that they should give one-tenth of what they earn to, to, the, to the community. And he says that the, the ultimate consequence for this would be that the person would be buried in the holy uh Makbara, the holy graveyard which we have in in Gardiano, the home village of the promised but he says that he he puts many conditions forward for this and ultimately these these conditions what they lead to is a person forcing himself to get closeness to god hmm. the whole point of it is when you sacrifice money money man and money have forever <laughs> have since time immemorial have this strong yeah. strong connection this desire for money this desire for, which ultimately leads uh, to a desire for power. So when you're sacrificing the thing that you desire most in this world, or one of the things that you desire most in, the, in this world, for someone who you, or something, that being that you can't physically see on a daily basis, rather you, have, you see him through different means, it, it increases your faith to an extreme level. Because obviously when we see God, you know, atheists ask, how do you see? Have you seen him? Well, it's more to do with our connection with him. So when you're sacrificing so much for something you believe in ultimately the consequences that you grow much stronger in your faith so the whole point of we see it is always giving more 
not just okay. Yeah, I give my two point five percent as a god. I I give few gender, few charities here, there's the god, you know, sadhgars and things mm-hmm. like that. The point is that you're always trying to strive for more. And if you do that, then you'll realize that you know things like money and anything else which is material, materialistic. You don't really need to chase it. Mm-hmm. Rather, there's many stories. You know, the our Khalifa when during on the Friday sermons at the end of the year, he speaks about many, many stories of people in Africa and different countries when they sacrifice, whether it be a little or a lot, they always get a lot back. And I've experienced this myself. I'm sure you guys have as well. It, mm. it's, it's, and some people call it karma because, you know, they're not Muslims, but they call it karma. We simply call it God. God says that if you do good, we'll help you. Simple as so it's um it's a means for getting close to God. Last day, Imam uh, Khalid, we are talking about um how so one of the things that I think we 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 should mention here as well when we talk about debt is um how to manage money. Is there anything that we can find in Islam how to manage money so we don't even or we can get out or we don't even get into this spiral of of having debt? Yeah, it's a good question. I think the first thing we have to start is with is the things that we're prohibited from. For example, alcohol, gambling, etc. These are two killers in society which literally steal all your money away. Hmm. So if we start with those two things, no alcohol, no gambling, we're already we're already saving a lot of money. No intoxicants as well. Okay, no drugs. So from that point on, you're saving a lot of money already. And then we look at what we do with the money. Hmm. Well, with the money that you have, apart from the charities, in terms of how you should spend it, you should behave with money very gratefully. People are very ungrateful with money, and the funny thing is they seem very upset when they realize they don't have any. So the point is that every good thing in life you should be very grateful for. If you're not grateful for something, you won't take care of it, you won't value it. Money should be very valuable in your eyes. You know, I'm not saying you, know, you see one penny that you should hold on to like, for your dear life. No, I'm not saying that. But when you do have money, take care of it. Mm. And do not take care of it in a sense that it's mine for me only, rather... It's something which I can share with others. So Islam says, for example, in the commentary of the second Khalifa as a Muslim, he says that Islam is the only religion in the world which says that parents have a right in the wealth of their children. Not many people know this, you know. Mm. So that again, that, that alludes to great gratefulness, being grateful to your parents, you know, being grateful for how they took care of you when you're younger. And when you do have money, then you shouldn't be spending it on things which are unnecessary. Some people say they justify what they spend their money on. You know, um, they say, you know, I want to spend, I don't spend it on many other things, but I spend it on this. Mm. I don't spend it on many other things. but So it's about getting whatever is in your means. It doesn't mean that you can't have nice things. As Uda said many times, our Khalifa said, you can have nice things. God's given you money. Well, you can spend on the things that you like. It's fine. Not a problem. But do not spend excessively. In the Quran, Allah says that those people who spend excessively are the brothers of Satan. Mm. Okay, they are the brothers of Satan. Those people, it becomes, why? Because the more you spend, the more you want. And in a lovely hadith, I can't exactly show you right now, because in that hadith, it was the Holy Prophet, he he drew out in the sand, he was showing people uh, how people behave in life. You know, regarding what they want, hmm. so he, he he draws a line, and he and he draws he signals this is the person and this is the line, and then he draws another line in front of that line. So you have two lines. The person is behind one line. The first line is his death. The second line is what he wants, his desires, and he says that this person will never reach his desires. You know, he'll always die first. Yeah. 
what it means is that well we can spend as much as we want but we'll always have this that's why it says that we're the brothers of satan when we spend excessively wonderful do not do not uh, spend excessively wonderful imam khalid gonzalez thank you very very much for for joining us today it was an absolute pleasure to have you on and uh, thank you so much for your time thank you very much for for joining us here bless you guys assalamu alaikum brilliant you know once increase increase don't they yeah Wonderful. Now, we are going to come to the end of uh, this part of the program, but uh, don't forget we're going to move on to the second part, which is about, uh, and we're asking you, uh, where do you live? What do you like about the place that you live? What is so wonderful? So do share that with us. Um, And uh, we are coming up to the five o'clock news in just a few seconds. So zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number for you to call if you want to have your say. If you want to have more information, if you want to read up on these things, all of this information about zakat, about al wasiyat, meaning this um, a book that we were just talking about, or the system of wasiyat <coughs> that is um, currently uh, or that was introduced by the Promised Messiah, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, then you, you can go to our website alislam.org and find out all the relevant information. We're going to be back after the news at five. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Welcome to the Drive Time Show. This is the second hour of the Friday Drive Time Show. In the first hour, we were talking about debt. What a fascinating subject. Learned loads. And I thought Imam Khalid was absolutely fantastic, where he ended by saying, We want more and more and more. The once never stop and we'll never achieve that. So let's find a way where we can control our debts. But in this next hour, we're talking about the top town. Where is the best place to live in the UK? I'm sure everyone will have an opinion, and I'm sure it will be biased. Danielle, I'm sure you probably got an opinion yourself on that as well. Well, my sim- simple opinion on that is that the best place to live is uh, is in your house, uh, yeah. is, is where you own the house. That's right. Home is where the heart <laughs> is, everybody. But let's see if what happens and what transpires will be we talk to our guests that are coming up later in this show. Looking forward to talking to Dr. Ben Plinton, who is an adult project manager at Mental Health Foundation, and he's worked with charities since 2015. And then we'll be talking to Catherine Davis, who is represented the visitor economy sector for Bristol, Bath, and the surrounding regions, both locally and nationally. I'm sure many of us have had a trip to the Roman baths, haven't we? And we would talk to Catherine a little bit about that as well. So obviously, you know, we're asking a question on our social media question on Instagram. And the question on Instagram is, you know, what? why do you think your place where you live is the best place? And put some comments in there and we'll share them with you. Um, and we've had a few ones uh, that have come through. We'll share them with you as well. Look, Daniel, let's just get straight into this topic because, you know, covering the topic of the best place where you like to live. And I love what you said. Home is where the heart is. You know, that's because you make your home how you want to do it. But we will explore the top 10 or the top destinations but obviously why don't you just call and let us know what you think as well where you live are you 
having a view outside your front window looking at a lovely sunset now uh, or do you live near a beach or do you live in the city where you have access to all the best amazing food outlets and coffees or is it do you live next to the airport and you can fly anywhere whenever you want and you don't really mind so look Islam preaches brotherhood pe- preaches peace and compassion and we'll discuss how these qualities affect the area you live in and I'll start by saying something that our uh, leader of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masoor Ahmad Mayalabi his helper said at an inauguration of a mosque in Leicester and he drew the attention of all communities in Leicester to reflect on how early settlers of the city despite their diverse backgrounds abandon all their differences and learn to live as one peaceful community for a very long time and therefore it was the duty of the current generation to preserve that look danielle we're seeing things change now aren't we people you know are, are looking more for themselves now aren't they people are absolutely looking for themselves and 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 there has been over the last uh, 100 years a move towards urbanization bar the the last i think two or three which mm. which has seen a slightly different trend will come onto that as well but uh, you know people have gradually left rural areas for various reasons including the availability of job opportunities in cities particularly in, in industries such as finance technology healthcare um a city of london is a is a huge magnet and and uh, we all know about that cities also tend to have better access to education healthcare um and other amenities such as uh, shops and entertainment yeah and then cities also have better transportation infrastructure generally speaking as well Especially when this this question of transportation, you know, when you live in the remote parts of a country, obviously there's no railway, there's yeah. no underground. But we experience here, we've got a fantastic station at the end of the line here in yeah. Morden, where we are presenting the show from. It's got it's a very frequently used station. But actually, if you're in a rural area, what access do you have? Is probably a community bus or a bus network? Probably not even that anymore yeah. because uh, you know because of lack of funding um, in uh, in infrastructure and. And in most cases, you have to drive ten, uh, fifteen minutes to the nearest uh, uh, train station, and then take the train from there. Yeah, and then obviously we're experiencing now the ultra low emission zone that's yeah. coming into play uh, uh, very soon in the United. Uh, sorry, in London, yeah. uh, the mayor of London is, is bringing it in because of the pollution. So, do you think uh, pollution is a choice of where you live and how important it is for you? Do you like the countryside? Do you want to go and live in the Lake District, for example? Do you find that's a beautiful place for you, or down yeah. Snowdonia? down in Wales. I mean, I don't know. Is there a preference? What's your preference then, Danielle? Yeah, absolutely. I love the countryside and yeah. I and I have many friends who've who've moved south actually towards yeah. uh, you know, Dorset and and that oh, part of the yeah. world, uh, which is beautiful yeah. as well. Uh, I would personally love to live uh, in a in a in a scenic place. Mm. Uh, but again, you know, you you've got to look at I have young kids, I have young families, you've got to look at schools, you've mm. got to look at other things, you've got to look at healthcare, you've got to look at you know my own work situation as well so there's so many things that you have to consider but yes there, there has generally been a move in the last three or four years especially uh you know since the pandemic the last you know two three years i should say where people have uh, uh tried to move towards the rural areas because um try to move out of the cities because um, um generally uh, you know we are not required to go to the office as much as we used to anymore and um, Zoom and you know other video-based uh, 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 platforms are there, and 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 that has 
changed the way we used to we used to work or we used to perceive work uh, needs to be. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a bit like a revolution taking place in the United Kingdom, especially after the pandemic, especially in Europe, where everyone, and I've said this many times before, many of the CEOs in central London now that are big places like this is like the Gherkin and all the HSBC, the, saying, where's all my stuff? I have in this office, which is so big. Where are all my people that I want to talk to? Why, where are they gone? Because people are enjoying their time at home. Again, you know, I bring back to what you said at the beginning. Home is where the heart is. That's kind of where people want to make their own time. I mean, in this revolution, I'll give an example of the French Revolution, which took place in the nine, in 1789 to 1799, nearly 10 years. And it played a massive role in migration, which you mentioned earlier. And it led to the abolition of feudalism and the rise of the democratic and secular republic and also then caused the rise of the national and patriotic sentiments among the French people and then the ends of the privileges of the nobility and the clergy causing a large migration from the rural area to the cities and that's a it's a very good example but we didn't see exactly the same but we are seeing a migration aren't we which you mentioned earlier people moving to the cities um, and it's really happening but anyway let's look at this other part of the subject uh, Danielle um, Mm. just before we get on uh, our next guest uh, to talk to us I mean are the best cities rated on amenities and nature what 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 is it what do you think in your opinion so different cities offer different types and levels of amenities such as cultural attractions shops restaurants and parks the amenities um, uh, a city's a city offers is uh, shaped by factors such as its history location and demographic demographic profile london um, as you would expect has the most diverse and extensive um, uh, list of amenities uh, on offer but other cities such as manchester and yep. bristol also have a strong offering in certain areas smaller cities such as cambridge and oxford have limited amenities offer but are still popular very popular because they are number one beautiful cities to live in uh, they have a lot of history a lot of architecture and obviously yeah. the universities yeah and, and i mentioned about the coastal cities i know when i was saying does is anyone now looking outside their window and seeing the waves crushing into their uh, into the sandy beaches i love to see that and if you've got a picture of a sunset send it to us and i'm sure we'll tweet it and you know promote where you live but just before we do any more on this we would love to talk to our first guest dr ben plimpton it's great to have him on the drive time show and he is the adult project manager at a mental health foundation and he's worked for charity since 2015 which are which have been focusing on preventing mental health problems across the uk population because we know it's been a rise and actually going to the countryside is something that can really relax you and enjoy where you are so welcome to the drive time show uh, dr ben plimpton thank you for joining us no, thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're a star. I'll start off with the with the first question, and then uh, Danielle will, will will kick in with a couple more after that. So, look, does the Mental Health Foundation have any programs to in initiatives or that are aimed at addressing mental health in cities? Because I did mention that you know you want to come and relax yourself. You go to the countryside, don't you, and then breathe in the lovely fresh air and have a picnic. But actually, you know, cities can sometimes be unhealthy places yeah no and as you said in the the introduction to the mental health foundation our focus is really on uh prevention so and i I work in the programs team 
in England, and we have a number of programs that run in cities that are really focused on kind of preventing poor mental health among different groups. Um, you know, we have some program projects in schools, and I think you've spoken to a colleague of mine in the previous occasion about the Becoming a Man project that works with boys and young men in schools in Islington and um, Lambeth, you know, to prevent poor mental health further down the line. We have projects with young moms in Nottingham and also in the London Borough of Greenwich. But then also, yeah, we do have some of our work is focused on that sort of nature engagement and engaging with nature in an urban environment for the benefit of mental health, but also for the hopefully for the prevention of poor mental health burden on the line. And that's some of the work that I'm more directly involved in. Um, and just one example of that is a project called Blue Prescribing that the Mental Health Foundation is delivering in partnership with the Wildfowl and Wetlands Trust at the London Wetlands Center in Barnes, yeah. um, which is a six-week course just to engage people. And again, sort of engaging with nature in an urban environment for the benefit of mental health, but also thinking about their relationship with nature, how that relationship might be improved, and sort of, yeah, how to carry that forward and sort of implement that into some of their, you know, day-to-day practice. Um, yes, Doctor, we've seen um, over the last two or three years a move really to move out out mm-hmm. outside the city and move towards the rural environment. Yeah. Um, what do you think that has been driven by, and, and where and how does the nature and green uh, spaces uh, do you think their effect on mental health uh, plays into that? Yeah, well, it's it's undoubtedly the case that you know our relationship with nature is really important for our mental health, and it's there's particularly something about how connected we feel to nature and the natural world that seems important. Um, and, you know, some of the research on this shows that people who report feeling more connected to nature also report being happier um, and that nature connectedness also seems to be associated with lower levels of poor mental health, particularly like depression and anxiety. So, so again, there is something really important about that feeling of nature connectedness, but obviously sometimes in an urban environment that can be more difficult to develop that, you know, if we're living in a built-up environment or it doesn't feel like there's a lot of green space around so that, you know, that's surely a driver sometimes for people if they have that option to maybe move further out or even outside of the city to a place where that, that natural space feels more accessible. But certainly in, in our work and in, in the report we recently released, it's, it's also a little bit about looking at how we can develop a, a better relationship with nature, kind of even if it doesn't feel so readily available. So we can develop that connection or that sense of connectedness in different ways, you know, by by accessing what green space is available to us, or obviously now it's quite cold out, so it's a little bit tricky, but at a nicer time of year, maybe opening the window, listening to bird song, some people grow house plants. These sound like small things, but they can all sort of cumulative, cumulatively, excuse me, make a difference for that, that relationship with nature and that sense of connectedness. Doctor, what is social prescribing and how can it be implemented in cities to address the mental health uh, challenge? Yeah, social prescribing is is an emerging kind of practice in the health system that really looks to link people up to things in their community to improve that sense of social connectedness. I know I'm talking about nature connectedness, but this is social prescribing is particularly about social connectedness and just that acknowledgement that it's really important for all of us, for our health, for our mental health, to feel connected to our communities, to feel part of something, to not feel on our own. And so social prescribing is, is it's, it's within the health system, but it's particularly a practice um, around connecting people to those things, those community structures. And sometimes they're community choirs, sometimes they might be mm. faith groups, um, 
And in the case of what's sometimes called green social prescribing, it's about connecting people to nature-based activities. So whether that's gardening groups or walking clubs or things like that. And there are new roles in the health system that you may have heard of. They're called link workers. Yeah that their specific purpose is to, is to sort of link people up with those, those different activities, again, for the benefit of their health and their mental health. Amazing. I mean, I really like what you said about community groups getting involved and especially in the cities, uh, creating activities in parks. I mean, one of the things that many people do are community cleanups or litter picks uh, Mm -hmm. in the parks. They get people who probably uh, walked in the park but never actually thought about picking up the rubbish that they see. They feel it's not their responsibility. But Mm -hmm. actually getting involved with a litter pick, not only does it involve you meeting with your local residents and friends and and organizations you make friends you know you have a cup of coffee before you get to uh, meet people who think the same and it's really good for the mental health do you think this is something that is the responsibility of local governments or is it okay for local groups and associations to actually take a lead in this um i mean it's great if 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 local communities or sort of local groups can take a lead in that. And, and, and the social prescribing that system is really about, I think, supporting those local groups to, to, to keep doing what they're doing and make it possible for more people to get involved yeah. if they'd like to. So that's, that's really it in a nutshell. And you, and you said it so perfectly there too, and particularly that type of activity, it, it, it gives you both that nature connection and that social connection. And so it's, it's both together that for the again for the benefit of health and mental health so so just based on that i mean i'm going to ask you a very political question because this is london it's a very hot topic here about the ultra low emission zone the mayor of london has now decided to expand that uh, scheme to greater london into areas say uxbridge and ricelip and much further out do you think it's the right decision for that um or do you think it's too early um do you think, you know, looking at the opposition to it, do you think it's the right move today? Um, to be honest, I'm going to struggle to comment on that a little bit because I don't feel so well versed sure. in that issue. I think, um, I mean, I think as a general rule, any, you know, it's, it, yeah, um, I think, it, I mean, it's good if possible to support policies that, that sort of obviously nurture our natural environment, even yeah. what natural environment exists in an urban space. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I won't push you on it. Anyone, I understand the the difficulty. I mean, I only raise this because many people keep um, stating the little um, Ella Kissy Deborah who who died, didn't she? And then it was um, decided in twenty twenty that it was pollution that was the cause of of her her death, and yeah. uh, and I think that's one of the driving factors. But it's a difficult one. Do, do you think? Um, segregated cycle lanes to get people out of their cars into other modes of transport is a good thing? Again, I mean, it's a, it's an issue on, on which I don't feel so well-versed other than, I mean, there obviously there are, you know, health and mental health benefits of, sure. of exercise. So I suppose to the degree to hmm. which we're able to design our urban environment that makes it more possible for people to get some exercise, I mean, that... That seems like a good policy initiative, but I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to comment sure. specifically on the, on the sure. sort of. So let me ask you this, Dr. Plimpton: What, to your mind, is the best place to live in the UK? Uh-huh. Wow, <laughs> <laughs> that's the question that you can answer. <laughs> okay, answer in a personal capacity. I mean, yeah. 
I mean, I should note, yeah, I've only, I, I only, my only experiences of London, so I haven't, unfortunately, I haven't lived anywhere else in the UK, so, um, so I, I should note that caveat. I mean, I, I think you were saying just before I came on the call, um, you know, a lot of our cities do have, have a lot to offer, you know what I mean, here in the United Kingdom. I mean, London does have a, a, an amazing variety of green space, and, and, um, and it, you know, obviously people have, because of the density here, people have less access to private gardens. So private green space isn't quite as available. But, but you know, the, the public green space is, you know, quite widely available. So, I mean, in that respect, I think it's really about, um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> as a London resident, I guess I'm, I'm certainly trying to, you know, do my part to sort of become more familiar with the green space in my environment. I'm, I'm sort of in Southeast London where there is a fair bit of green space as well. So, um, and I think that's a challenge, you know, for each of us in our, in, you know, if we're living in an urban environment, the United Kingdom is to sort of make the most of the green space that's available to us and, and think of ways that we can engage in that space in a way that hopefully, yeah, promotes a little bit of that nature, that nature connectedness. 100%. Dr. Ben Plimpton, thank you so very much for joining us. Uh, Have a lovely um, Friday afternoon and the weekend. Thank you for your time. Really enjoyed speaking to you. Okay. No, thank you so much. Thank you. So, Danielle, so if home is not the the choice, so where where would you like to live then? Yeah, some of the places that you mentioned earlier, I wouldn't mind living in uh, Lake District or, uh, uh, you know, in in a place like Dorset or... Mm. Um, even in Snowdonia, for that matter, actually, yeah. if I could, if I, you know, if everything else being equal, if I was able to support myself and my family and there were good schools and education system around, and um, then I wouldn't really mind uh, living in those places. Absolutely. Fantastic. I mean, if I was asked that question, I would struggle because I think at different stages of my life, hmm. I would choose to live in different areas sure. of the country. So as a young person, probably, um, I would like to live in a city. Mm. I think having access, the freedom, just to go and have what I want at any time and, and, and just have access to everything 24-7 was probably the best time. Sure. And then it would be a I choice. I relate to that. Yeah, yeah exactly right. Then, then obviously where you want to study, because that again would uh, determine uh, yes. where you want 100%. to go. Do you want to stay at home? Do you want to leave the home, yeah. the, the family, and, and go and travel? And then when you get married, you have children, you've got yeah. grandchildren, and then do you want to go and relax in, in a nice sort of comfortable area and, and, and have access? Uh, but then it's the security. You know, do you want to live in a remote area where you have no security? Well, anyway, let, let's talk. To, we've got two guests um, who are yes. waiting um, at the wings. And uh, we will be talking to Aisha or we have both of them on hold. So let's welcome them to the Drive Time Show. Assalamu alaikum and may peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Welcome to the Drive Time Show. Come, come. Thank you for having us. Oh, thank you. Welcome, Sam. Thanks uh, for having me. Yeah, awesome. So, just a quick question. I'll ask uh, both of you. Um, obviously, you made a conscious decision to move to Manchester. I don't know where from, but obviously, you're in a city. Is that a place of choice that you would love to live? You can both answer. Yeah, I've uh, moved to Manchester from Pakistan. I was previously living in Karachi, and um, uh, I've been here in Manchester now for. 18 years. Uh, I moved here after marriage, so it wasn't a conscious choice to come to specifically Manchester, uh, but I have loved living here for the last 18 years. Wow. So how was the transition from Karachi to, to Manchester? I must, I, I've must. i lived in Karachi as well, uh, hence the question. 
uh, I found it um, uh, quite similar. It, um, Karachi was very. They're both big cities, uh, yes. Yeah. They're both big cities. Karachi is a bit more. Uh, there's a lot more hustle bustle yeah. uh, in Karachi compared to. I mean, M- Manchester now has gotten a lot more busy as well. But when I moved here, it wasn't as busy or there's not a lot of uh, population at that time. It wasn't as busy as it is now. Okay. Um, so it was nice to come from a very fast-paced city like Karachi to move to somewhere right. uh, like Manchester, which wasn't as um, fast-paced. Yeah. But at the same time, we just had the right amount of energy. I'll let Aisha answer as well. Yeah, sure. Aisha, <laughs> I was going to ask you as well. Um, so what what's your kind of choices if you were to decide in the future where you'd live as opposed to where you're living today yeah i think i would i would also definitely come to manchester because i have, i've studied here for the past four years and i've also i'm currently working in manchester as well so um that's i like just just as others was saying i think manchester has the very um right balance of busy and quiet uh when you go to like cities like london it gets very um, overwhelming but it's a very overwhelming city life. Whereas if in Manchester you have everything that London has, but it's in a quite, um, it has a perfect balance of... I wouldn't quite agree with that. Everything that, that London has. <laughs> I think that that's a rather controversial statement to make. <laughs> I mean, many I'm, people, I'm many talking... Londoners would not agree with you. Well, I'm talking <laughs> about <laughs> your basic necessities. So like sure. if your, okay. you know, your I education, you. your housing, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but I think so, in that sense, obviously... Sure. London is London, but what I'm trying to say is that um, sometimes it's a very, it can be a very overwhelming city hmm. because there's a lot of people there. It's quite, it's quite a hyped and busy I understand. City. Absolutely. No, no point yeah. taken. So again, a question for both of you and maybe uh, you first. Um, when, when you, um, if you're asked to choose uh, uh, the best place to live in, in the UK or anywhere else for that matter, what would be your criteria? What would be sort of, you know, three or five, what would be your checklist? Um, my checklist would be somewhere uh, that is. Um, I, w- I wouldn't want to live in the countryside. I'm a city girl, so I would prefer uh, to live in a city where we have access to everything. Uh, everything's close by. Obviously, I would like, um, as a mother, I wanted a place where um, there's good education, good educational institutes, so mm-hmm. that sort of thing, and also lots of. Um, open air spaces. I know UK is very um, famous for having mm. lots of big parks and stuff and Manchester has some amazing parks as well. So that's one of my um, checklists. So Can having it? nice open areas and open spaces, mm. not a lot of traffic. So the environment is still very nice and clean. Yeah, well, I guess uh, what, nearly eight million people in London and that half a million in Manchester. So I can guess, you know, trying to understand how yeah. busy uh, it, it is. Um, yeah, Aisha, you were going to answer as well. Yeah, so as for my checklist as well, I think, yes, at, at the um, availability of necessities, so health specifically, I think countryside usually don't have um, nearby hospitals and you have to travel far sometimes. So I think in cities usually help that way and I've lived, personally lived in the countryside for over 10 years now so I, I definitely want to move to a city because I, I've, I've sort of missed that because I'm from Lahore and from the past 10 years I've been in a countryside town in the UK so yeah. now I really want to, you know, I'm longing for that city life again that that has the 
um, has a quiet, but it also has a hustle bustle that that we all need. Sometimes. How much does food play into that? Because obviously we all know the food in Lahore is kind of a very special, amazing taste that is very hard to replicate anywhere else. Do you get that in Manchester? Um, I think Manchester does have good um, good places to 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 get to have food, but I think of course you can't beat Lahore. You can't you can't beat Lahore in anything. I think Lahore is very I, I, is very special. I, I don't know about. I know we've everyone's heard about Lahore's food culture, but Manchester has its own has its own uh, very uh, multicultural mm. food. Um, yeah. And, and, and so, the, so does Karachi, actually. Sorry to interject. So, so does Karachi because uh, you've been in Karachi. I yeah. think I, 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 that aspect is very much downplayed about Karachi, unfortunately. Uh, Karachi yeah. is, is, a, I, is a massive food I place. I agree. Everyone, Lahore is famous for its food, but I think people when they people from outside, when they come, they definitely prefer Karachi food. <laughs> so. Interesting. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Actually, that's very true. Yeah, and okay. I'm a Lahorean, yeah. I'm saying that. So, is yeah, it? that's true. My yeah. only recollection of Karachi is I went to the port in Karachi and went crab fishing. Is that still happening there? It, yes. it is absolutely yes, does. Crab, absolutely. And I, t- I tell you what, you know, since we're talking about the best places to live, it, it, well, in the UK or in the world, let's let's broaden the the topic as well. I have lived in uh, in Lahore, and and I was a diehard. I have been a diehard Lahori all my life until yeah. I moved to Karachi for work. <laughs> and I absolutely, I kid you not, I hated Karachi for the first six months. I was there for five years, and the remaining four and a half. Uh, years, both my wife and I just fell in love with Karachi, and we, to the point that we still miss Karachi. So uh, Karachi is, a, is an absolutely awesome place to live, and 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 there is a friend of mine who just texted me saying Karachi is hellhole. I absolutely disagree with you, sir. <laughs> it's not. It's it's a lovely place to live. It's, you you don't know what you what you what you're missing. Um, definitely, yeah. I think one of the things that is very similar between Karachi and uh, Manchester is how friendly the people are. Um, people are very friendly in Karachi as well. I haven't been to other parts of Pakistan, so I wouldn't be able to comment on that. But people in Karachi are willing to um, help you out um, at any time of the night. Karachi is also very... um, Very lively. You can go out at 2 o'clock in the night and it would still be... There would be loads of traffic at that time as well. Enough for this international stuff, really. What about the United Kingdom? I mean, outside of Manchester... Would you choose Dorset? Because that's one of the places that's been discussed here. That's down south, by the Dor- way. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know much about Dorset, but um, yeah, I don't think do I would I. live anywhere, anywhere else besides... But I'm sure you know about Lake District, right? Lake, again, that's a nice place to visit, but I don't think I could mm. live there. Yeah, okay. Okay, cool. Right. Yeah. Uh, let, let me uh, sort of ask another question, which... Uh, my brother uh, Hanif brought up earlier, which is about this whole debate about leveling up. So you, you, you're obviously in the northern part of the country, and this leveling up has been on the government's agenda, and it's been a great, it's been a big political uh, slogan as well. Um, do you, do you find the, that any of the um, uh, amenities are missing? Do you, do you, do you think that there is actually a difference between in terms of um, uh, of what's uh, what's on offer in terms of uh, the infrastructure that anything is is missing when you compare you know south versus where you live? I think uh, compared to London, transport might be transport. London transport yeah. is um, there's, brilliant. There's a lot more variety in London transport, and it's easier to travel around London, whereas Manchester, the public transport is not 
I mean, it's good, but not amazing. <laughs> it could be better. Um, and um, the roads, they're quite narrow as well, uh, which have been narrowed further to make up cycle lanes and stuff. So uh, I would say public transport is one thing that Manchester could definitely improve on. Um, they, we have a lot of issues with trains uh, over mm. here um, so because I think uh, lots of people travel from outside of Manchester into Manchester, like I said, to work. Yeah. So uh, yeah. transport is one of the issues that if if that was sorted, then uh, I don't think... Uh, Have you spoken to your mayor? Do, do, do you know who your mayor is? Yeah, Andy Burnham. Yeah. Have you spoken to him, asked him? He's done brilliant work on homelessness. Um, he, he he said he's working on it, but so far I don't know. He's been saying that for like uh, years now. <laughs> yes, I know. I've got some complaints with Mr. Burnham, so. <laughs> well, we'll leave it there then. Okay. So, all right. One last question. Uh, I haven't then done if you've got a question as well. I know we spoke about food. We've spoken about uh, uh, transport. But what about the culture? I mean, hmm. Not talking about football culture because we all know that you've got two of the best foot premiership teams in Manchester, you know. Um, but actually, culture what's the culture like there? I mean, if I turn up taking away the accent, but tell me about the culture, sell it to me. I sure want a culture. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think for culture, um, it, it depends how, how, how we define it, I guess. But Manchester, I would say, is I think has its own kind, it, it's, it's a very welcoming city and. Um, that's something you know like I I've been studying there and I've been working now so it's you know the culture is we the I think Manchester is famous for its Christmas markets every year for um, and it's also famous for its um, I'm losing track right now but yeah it's also famous for its its um, art gallery yeah. so it's it's a historic yeah. city it has um, it's it's known for its development during the um, industrial revolution as well so I yeah. think its culture is, is I, I think for me, I think it's it's a city that has its own kind that it sets it apart. I think okay. one of one of the uh, highlights of Manchester is the education, the universities, because yeah. we have a lot of international students here, so it's a melting pot of culture. Everyone yeah. brings their own culture to Manchester, Good. and then it doesn't sort of. Um, uh, it m- melts into the Manchester culture. Every every culture mixes up here, and nobody feels like an outsider over here. Yeah. Um. Uh, there's a lot of um, history for history buffs. I think Manchester is an amazing place. People can sure. come and, um, you know, like we the all know the yeah the the, the yeah, music the industry of what it what this, it defines. Hmm. Yeah, but I think more about. A lot of people don't know, for example, that um, the atomic model was actually worked on in Manchester, Manchester University. Ernest Rutherford uh, split the atom in yeah. while working in Manchester. So it has a very good, uh, a very rich scientific history. One of the things that um, scientists, there's two Nobel laureates who are working in Manchester, they're working on graphene. So if you're... Yeah. Uh, into science and technology, that's something to look out for because they're working on it and um, that's going to revolutionize your mobile phones, your batteries and all of these things. So they're working on it and that's um, all being done here in Manchester. Okay, Awesome. One final question to both of you. If uh, you were to pick one thing 
that you loved the most about Manchester, what would that be? Nudur, you first. Um, I think the people. Uh, everyone is very friendly over here. There's, everyone is just absolutely lovely. Uh, I've never felt out of place while living in Manchester. Wow, nice. Aisha? Um, it, yeah, it might, it might sound cliche, but I'm going to agree with Nudrat here. I think that's just, I know that every every time I, I enter that city, there's just this such a welcoming feeling that you can you can almost physically feel. And I think that's that's something that always struck me about Manchester. Excellent. Thank you very much, ladies, for joining us. Uh, thank you very much for um, uh, for raising your hand for Manchester. And uh, thank you very much for bringing a, a different uh, flavor to the show. Really appreciate thank it. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. Awesome. So thank you definitely from, from me as well. So, Danielle, just before we speak to our ne- next guest, Milo Boyd, I just wanted to also talk a little bit about our... The, the right, you know, the kind of that our neighbours have in Islam, because isn't that defines how you are? Because we always talk about the neighbour from hell, don't we? Isn't that so much of the conflict, the way you live? If you end up living next to a, a horrible neighbour or a neighbour that doesn't, even as simple as where you park your car outside your driveway two inches off, and they don't like it, it can create such a bad atmosphere. And But Islam has some very specific things about neighbours, right? 100%. And, and let me start answering that question by quoting from the Holy Quran. So this is from chapter 4, verse 37, in which um, Allah states, And worship Allah, and associate not with him, and show kindness to parents, and to kindred, and to orphans, and the needy, and to the neighbour that is a kinsman, and the neighbour that is a stranger and the companion by your side, and the wayfarer, and those whom your right hands possess. So, um, uh, you know, that that really sums it up yeah. for me. I mean, this is one of my favorite verses uh, yeah. in the Holy Quran. And uh, the Holy Prophet of Islam, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, asked his followers to give the rights due to one's neighbors. One tradition says that Abu Huraira related, relates that Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, called out by Allah. He does not believe by Allah. He does not believe by Allah. He does not believe. He repeated it three times. And he was asked, who does not believe messenger of Allah? And he said, he whose neighbor is not secure against his mischief. This is from Bukhari. Fantastic. I mean, that's uh, again, you know, just goes to show how important it is to look after your neighbors and and obviously um, how important it is for that to create a very healthy atmosphere where you live. And it therefore doesn't necessarily matter where you live. You've got some very nice neighbors uh, or a community of good neighbors. It helps raise the morality and safety and security of that area. So we will now talk to our next guest. And thank you very much, Milo Boyd, for hanging on in there while we just um, read a few extracts out from the Holy Quran and the saying from our beloved Holy Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. So Milo Boyd, a travel reporter at the Daily Mirror. He's previously worked on the Mirror's news desk for three years and before that on local newspapers in Epping, Forest and Reading. So we all know what Reading is like, not too much about Epping Forest. Maybe you can explain that to us as well because of the new Elizabeth line that takes you straight from Paddington and beyond all the way to Reading, which people love as a as a as a network to get you to Reading. So welcome to the Drive Shine uh, Milo Boy. Thank you very much for joining us. 
Oh, thank you very much for having me. I'm really enjoying your show so far this evening. It's great. Oh, awesome. Thank you very much for that. Um, so let's just get straight into it because I've got lots of questions we want to ask you. Um, really, here's a technical one. So what specific factors and, and consideration are taken into account when you kind of evaluate ranking a city? Because there was this recent poll, and I'll probably share it, that gave the top 50 worst places to live in the country and there are a couple of uh, places which I'm not too um, happy about were included because they weren't in there before but uh, but what, what what is that what, what are those considerations well we recently reported on a survey by Resonance which is a tourism consultancy firm which placed London where I live at the top and what it was looking at was place product programming people prosperity and promotion yeah Essentially, I found that London's a really good place if you have a lot of money, you're a business with a lot of money to invest, and you also want to go to really nice restaurants and Instagram about it. All of those things, London does very well. But I think there are other uh, polls, other surveys that I've seen that have uh, livability more at their centre. And when it comes to those ones, London doesn't do particularly well. Places like Edinburgh, Bath and Bristol, as you were talking about earlier, They do much better, that combination of housing that's a bit cheaper, lots of green spaces and a bit less pollution. Right. So how how do cultural, social and economic factors influence popularity and perception of London as a desirable place to live compared to other cities in the UK? Well, in terms of culture factors, I think that's the big reason why I'm here, to be honest. I think it's an incredible place to be if you love the theatre, if you love music. you can go and watch the latest Andrew Lloyd Webber play in the West End and then sort of take a 20-minute bus up to the Arcola and our maiden and see some properly weird art theatre. At the same time, you can go get a £10 student ticket to the Royal Opera House and then half an hour later you're up in Tottenham Hill going to the legal rave in the woods in the tube station. London just has this incredible diversity of uh, culture that I don't think anywhere else in the country can quite match in terms of uh, the density of it, even though loads of places do have amazing cultural mm. offerings. What would you say to uh, to people like the ones who were just on the show before you, uh, who were saying that people in London aren't that friendly? Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I mean, it is probably true. I, I've lived in London <laughs> Thank you for your honesty, Milo. I appreciate that. That's a good start. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it fairly undeniable. It's, it's a big city. It, it feels cold. It can feel really lonely sometimes. But um, I recently had to, um, I had a huge leak in my flat and I had to turn all the water off for my, um, for my entire block of flats. So I spoke mm-hmm. to 50 um, people who I live you know, 20 metres from, and I've never spoken to in the last year. So there is a kind of, it's isolating, but, yeah. you know, people are friendly still when you get to know them. It just takes a bit longer, maybe. Right, okay. And and you think that, that the other things that we're talking about, you know, culture and, uh, and you know, the infrastructure, that still trumps that? Uh, yeah, I mean, the infrastructure is fantastic. Um, mm. I've never lived somewhere where it's so easy to get around. My local tube line, for example, is a key line. You can get uh, across London in 20 minutes. The buses run fantastically. The cycle network is increasingly good, and it's increasingly uh, feel safe to, to cycle on the roads. And you mentioned uh, the ultra-low emissions zone earlier. I think yep. London is doing really good things in terms of pushing cars out of London. I know it's unpopular, but I think it's kind of the way forward. Um, it might not trump the fact that people aren't very friendly here, but it's... Uh, <laughs> <makes up> for, <laughs> 
Now I'm 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 all for that, Milo, because I completely agree with the segregated cycle cycle lanes. I use the C nine, C eight, you name them. I'm on them quite frequently on my cycle, and mm. um, I I think they're amazing. And I think the transport. And you're right. We need to push these cars out. And I think the Mayor of London is has got the right idea, but it's always difficult to plan something as he's trying to do with you Les. it comes with a lot of difficulties and challenges and people aren't ready for it yet but i hope as our next generation comes through they will understand the benefits of having a cleaner air system but leaving that to one side london mm. itself is massively diverse and you know nine million people live in london and they play a massive contribution to its livability, like you've described with the culture and everything. And we've just had two lovely ladies earlier to you bigging up Manchester and saying <laughs> how great it was. But how would you compare Manchester with um, other like multicultural cities in the UK? Um, I'm not sure about the, the breakdown, um, the ethnicity or religious breakdown of, of Manchester. I did look this up earlier for London. And in 2021, 46% of residents of London self-identified as Asian, Black, or mixed other yeah. ethnic groups, which is the largest proportion in the whole country. I suspect Manchester is, is somewhere similar. I think lots of the urban hubs in London have a big, uh, a big ethnic minority mm. um, population. And I personally think, as someone who's moved to London, I think it's one of the things that make our big British cities uh, incredible. I think the fact that people want to move here in such large numbers is what makes it an exciting and, and buzzing place to be. Yeah, I mean, you, if you just walk down the street, it doesn't matter which part of London you are. Maybe there might be some further like Tower Hamlets and, and Whitechapel, or then you go to the other extreme like South London, um, like Croydon and further around Redditch. There are very pockets of very con uh, specific type of people. But actually... You walk down the street, you don't know if they're going to speak to you in Polish, French, German, Italian. And it's just amazing. It's just such a beautiful flavour mm. of colour when you listen to languages. And when you go on the uh, railway station, you, 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 you walk into a busy station and you sit down and straight away within five feet of yourself, you see uh, different cultures expressing themselves all the way from the beautiful colours from the Africans to the maybe ladies who wear the hijab to our other young children from the Jewish community. I know we talk about culture, but it's all there. And it's it's like a, a, a worldwide global village uh, on the underground. I, I just love it. It's just fantastic. I completely agree with you. I'd be very interested to, interest to know people's... Um experiences living in other big cities in the UK because what I think is particularly great about that side of London is how different communities live side by side. It's so integrated. So for Green Lanes, which runs from Newton yeah. Green all the way up to Harringay, what, three or four miles along where I live, um, you have a huge Turkish and Cypriot population. Yeah, right, There's yeah. amazing restaurants and shops and tailors and Turkish language newspapers and lawyers' offices. But they're completely integrated with... Uh, those same things from run by people from other parts of the world and I, I i've never sort of felt like it's not atomized you have people here and then a different community here everyone is mixed together yeah. and i think it works quite harmoniously it seems to me anyway 
And and one more uh, word of confidence from me also uh, to end this chat uh, on on London. You know, when when we say that uh, people in London are not friendly, uh, wait till you go and live in New York. I have <laughs> I, I have done that, and I can, I can absolutely swear on anything that you know London people in London are a lot nicer. They they are very nice in general. Uh, so absolutely, I have no complaints whatsoever with people in London as well. And I and I absolutely love the city to bits. Thank you very much, Milo. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, really nice to speak to you. Bye-bye. So that was Milo Boyd, who is a travel reporter at the Daily Mirror, um, and he's previously worked on the Mirror's news desk as well. Yeah, I mean, if you want to big up your city, your town, your uh, lovely little coffee shop uh, that you go to regularly on a Sunday morning after church, maybe, or after Friday sermon, you go down to a local kebabby that you kind of... There's me being very culturally... Um, generalistic there and I apologise if I offended anybody because I do know that the Indian curry is probably one of the best uh, dishes in the United Kingdom as opposed to others so food is one of those things that are very personal but also there are absolutely fantastic choices there as well but yeah, big up your country, uh, your place where you live but actually I just wanted to say that we know that for health reasons many people do choose to move out of cities don't they? Yeah. Because of the stress the busyness the and also like Milo said, the loneliness as well. Mm. Suddenly when you come out of a busy city, you go and live in a remote village, suddenly your community is very different. You know everything about everybody. You know, if there's an emergency or yeah. something, you know who to go to, who's who's good at fixing the car who, sure. when you're stranded, yeah. who's good who, when you're not feeling very well, who can get the doctor, who yeah. needs social care, who can be your friend in need to take you shopping. It's a very different thing altogether, right? It is, and it's, you feel very connected. So I, yeah. I live in, um, you know, uh, a little bit in a, in a, in a suburb. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the whole, the whole so, so we have a sort of a WhatsApp group for three or four cities, uh, three or four streets, I should say. The street we live in and then, uh, you know, a couple of more joined with us. And we feel very connected. Uh, you know, if something happens and, some, and there was an incident in actually one of the streets uh, yesterday night and everybody uh, sort of was aware of it and everybody was trying to help out. So, you know, you get uh, a lot of that in, um, in, in, in the rural sort of uh, out of city areas, something that you wouldn't expect Londoners, especially not New Yorkers to do, ever. <laughs> um, before we come back to the, the, the best cities, uh, uh, Brother Hanif, you posted a list um, uh, of 50 worst places to live in the UK. Okay. And, you know, I have one major objection <laughs> that comes out straight, you know, staring at me. That's number 18, Oxford. How can Oxford be, you know, one of the top 18 worst places yeah, to yeah. live in the UK. So it's really interesting you raise this because there's obviously my town there as well and obviously the town of what the ladies were speaking to as well. We, you know, if, we, if the producers let us do it, we, we'll share it. But when this was sent out, I commented it on Twitter and I said, look, so you've sent this. What are you basing it yeah. on? Yeah, what's you the know, criteria? Is it is it culture, school, languages, transport, you name it? And, and also... Um, the comment was that, well, no, you know, what do you think? So it, this is why I thought we'll post it today. And it's a great thing because we're talking about the subject. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I'm surprised at some of the lists there. And I think, like I said in my, when, you know, I post a question where I would live, I think it's also a time and place in your life as to where you want to live, what you think 100%. is great. You know, if, like, people choose to live 
in in Hounslow, for example, for many reasons, because of family, because of transport, because they want to travel, businesses are there, the distribution is there, the language spoken there, the open spaces that are there, the bus network, and obviously we've got some great places in the borough. It's, it's a very long, thin borough that comes all the way to Feltham, all the way into... Everyone knows where the Tesla is now by the... Um, Whole, um, by the roundabout just after the by the breweries it goes all the way to there it's very thin and at each stage every like four miles the culture changes yeah and that's the beauty of, of what of I love got, about it we've got Heathrow there as well well there you go <laughs> and, yeah exactly. all, all the five terminals well there you go well, actually some of it's in Hillingdon and other places but that's the point so so yeah it's, it's a very interesting kind right. of uh, comment there but anyway look I didn't make this list. Sure. <laughs> the best cities in the UK. Okay, right. Don't shoot the messenger. Right. Okay. So let's let's talk about the the best cities to live in the UK then. So um, so we've got this list from Home Views, and one of the places mentioned there is Hammersmith. So Hammersmith, located by River Thames. Um, yeah, next to Hounslow, by the way. <laughs> not far from Hounslow. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, a few miles south, uh, south, southwest, I should say. Uh, then there is um, another one, Islington. Yeah. That is known for its trendy atmosphere, Correct, central yeah, location. Um, as somebody mentioned uh, to me, um, uh, yeah, there's Bellum on the list as well. So it's it's got a village-like feel and proximity to, to green spaces as well. Then, of course, we've got Bristol. Uh, which is uh, which is I, I really like Bristol. I've been to Bristol a few times, and I and I really like uh, like the city. The notes over here say that it offers a relaxed atmosphere yeah. and popular choice choice for families. But yeah, it's a, it's got a very nice uh, town centre and uh, a good feel to it. I, I I really like Bristol. And then you've got uh, Cambridge. So it's a historic city. It's a university city. Uh, it's picturesque. There's lots of architecture there. Open spaces, parks. It's right, but it doesn't have Oxford. It does, yeah. <laughs> no Oxford there. I mean, yeah, I find that surprising. And then, and then lastly, all the way north, past Watford Gap, past England, it's Scotland in Edinburgh. That also is one place which offers a rich history sure. and stunning architecture. I love you know, this thing about when you talk about history and architecture and culture, I think it's the most important thing that we can value as oneself because it forms part of history, who we are, where we've come from and where we're going. And right. that culture in every every city in the United Kingdom, we, in this country, we have documented history that dates back far beyond most other countries around the world. Mm. I mean, if you compare it to what we see documented in the United States compared to what we have in the UK, right the way down to even earlier before 1066 with, with William the Conqueror. Mm. And we know what happened with the Saxons and everything that what they came in, the Vikings. We, we've got all that history. It's all there. So then you learn so much. And every country has an element of that. You look at a cathedral that makes a city. And I think living in this country is what makes it so attractive. Definitely it's art, culture, museum, plays a big part. People don't always appreciate what it brings. 100%. No, cannot agree more. Absolutely. Right. So we are coming to the end of the show here. Um, let me conclude this by talking a little bit about uh, the Islamic teachings, which promote the idea of coexistence between all creeds, between all kinds of people, Muslims, non-Muslims, Northerners, Southerners, uh, rich, the poor, emphasizing the importance of tolerance, 
peaceful coexistence, existence, mutual respect uh, as well be between uh, different communities. The Quran and Hadith sayings of the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, contain numerous verses, and we quoted uh, one or two verses and uh, Hadith before um, in the program, and, and that talk about the importance of treat, treating others, uh, including neighbors, uh, with kindness, compassion, respect, as well as you know people you don't know people. And and by the way, um, probably topic for another program. The word neighbor in Islam has a very very broad meaning. It just doesn't mean anybody and everybody who just lives next to you. It means even the person who's traveling with you. That's that's a neighbor uh, in Islam as well. And then obviously uh, you can even broaden that to neighboring countries. The promised Messiah, who is the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, said, be kind to all of humanity, no matter who they are. He said never to constrict the circle of your kindness. Muslims are encouraged to work towards creating a just and peaceful society by promoting equality, fighting injustice, and always helping the needy. Fantastic. Really appreciate that. That is awesome. And it's a great summary to to, to end that segment of the show. Sonia, just for 30 seconds, you, we've covered two hours now. Yeah. So what, what did you find was really good about both shows? Because they both r relate to each other, don't they? 100%. Yeah, I think we, we're talking about, you know, in the first half we were talking about how can we make life more livable? Um, how can we uh, be a more just society? Um, and then, you know, we are all um, surrounded by 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 episodes or incidents, stories of debt. And then, obviously, we uh, we then in the second half talked about the beautiful cities to live in. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much uh, for staying with us for two hours and enjoying this. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it with both my co-presenters being fantastic. And remember, if you like what you heard, you can always download it on SoundCloud. And remember that telephone number, 0208-687-7878. And obviously, we'd like to say a massive thank you to our producers, Aisha Malik, for that uh, conversation about top towns where you live and and Sophia Ahmad Ahmad who talked about and gave us details on the financial debt side things. Well thank you very much. That's myself, Danielle Andersab, signing out. Here's the news. <laughs>